Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earl. Hey, we're here today with Terry Real talking about how to have deeper relationships with our teenagers. And Terry is the author of the new book, Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. He is an internationally recognized family therapist, speaker, and author. He founded the Relational Life Institute, offering workshops for couples, individuals, and parents, along with a professional training program for clinicians to learn his relational life therapy method. He's also the best-selling author of multiple books, including I Don't Want to Talk About It, How Can I Get Through to You, and The New Rules of Marriage. The key to having a better relationship with our teenager lies in repair. It's not realistic to think we're always going to be in a state of harmony. Terry says that might work for angels, but not for human beings. It's inevitable that we're going to hit patches of disharmony. And when we do, the key is how do we repair them? Connection, Terry says, comes from making it through the mess together. How exactly do we do that? Well, that's the topic of today's episode. We're going to talk about how Terry got his son to open up on the way to hockey practice. What happened when his son put his wife in timeout? Why false empowerment is just as devastating as shame and how we can avoid falsely empowering our children. We'll look at the concept of a core negative image and we'll see how our core negative image of our teenager can get triggered and why that can set things. And when that happens, it can send a conversation off the rails real fast. We're also going to look at some research on the ideal amount of time you need to be attuned with your teenager in order to set them up for success. And we'll learn Terry's best secrets for how to repair a relationship when it's in the tubes. All that and more is coming up on the show today. Terry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Andy. It's a delight to be here with you. Wow. So we're just talking about your book, Us, today, and also about your course that you have on your website for parents. And really excited to get into this. I think you have some amazing stories and ideas in this book that I think will be really beneficial for parents. Great. Great. Thank you for that. So this is not your first book. You've been doing this for a while. You've got books on marriage, on I don't want to talk about it. How can I get through to you? So you've been writing and working and thinking about kind of communication and relationships for really a long time. Really a long time. I'm an old guy. But, you know, uh, uh, the first book in particular might be of interest to parents of boy. The first book, I don't want to talk about it, Overcoming the Secret Legacy of Male Depression, was written a long time ago, back in the 90s. But it's not just about male depression. It's about what patriarchal culture does to boys. It's about what I call normal boyhood trauma and what the consequences of that normal boyhood trauma is for grown 
men. If I can just dip there for a moment, the way we traditionally, quote unquote, turn boys into men, and even that is insane. We don't talk about turning girls into women, but we obsess about turning boys into men. Interesting. The way we turn boys into men, to this day, it hasn't changed, uh. is through disconnection. We teach, we insist that boys cut off from their emotion, from vulnerability, and from others. What we know from the feminist literature about girls is that the great wound to girls happens at the edge of adolescence, 10, 11, 12, in which girls, you know, famously lose their voices and move into that over-accommodating, kind and nice, and stop telling the truth, and become disempowered. And the healing work for girls and women across the board in this culture is re-empower, is empowering. The wound to boys, do you know how old boys are when the wounding occurs, Andy? Oh, wow. I'd say pretty young. Three, four, five. Yeah. Which is clear. By before our boys hit kindergarten, they are showing less willingness to express emotion, mm. particularly vulnerable emotion. They still have it. Yeah. But they're too smart. Yeah, they figured it out. Right. They figured it out. That's not what we do. Yeah. Okay. Before our sons have learned to read, they've already read the code of masculinity. And you know what? If you're in a gender progressive, liberal, hothouse, nuclear family with your sons, God bless, that's great. But when they leave your home and they're out on the playground, they know the goddamn score. Yeah. And after 50 years of feminism, uh, when a girl crosses over to boyland, there may be trouble. But when a boy crosses over to girlland, the response is outright violent. Yeah. And so what I say in that first book, I don't want to talk about it, is that the cost of disconnection in boyhood mm. is a disconnected man. And the healing move for men is reconnection, reconnecting them to their hearts, to their feelings, and to others. And across the board, women are asking for more emotional connection mm. from their men, then we raise boys to have, uh, and we have to change that. We have to raise relational boys. And this idea in particular that comes from psychology, that a boy must quote unquote separate from his parents, particularly his mother, yeah. in order to be autonomous, and all of that is all crap. It's nonsense. <laughs> Mothers, hold on to your sons. Mm. Don't expect that this... Can I tell you a story? You know, I like to tell a story. Of course. So I have two boys, now 32 and 35. And when my 35-year-old was young, I was very young. I was driving him to a hockey practice. I live in Boston, so it's hockey, hockey, hockey. I was driving to the hockey practice. And he was only like nine or eight or nine. And he's in the backseat of the car, and it's one of those typical boy things. How was your day? Fine. How are you feeling? Good. You know, monosyllabic. And I pulled the car off to the side of the road. This is a true story. And I said, hey, listen, Justin, let me explain something to you. I'm in the middle of doing you a favor. I took off from work to pick you up to drive you to hockey practice. That's a favor. 
you're in the back seat and you can barely give me a sentence for an answer. That's not acceptable to me. So here's what I want. If you want me to drive you to hockey practice, I want one thing you felt, one thing you enjoyed, and one thing you learned today. And my little nine-year-old said, okay, okay, uh -huh. said, okay, here's something I learned. So what's that? Since we're going to hockey practice, yeah. He goes, when I'm in hockey practice, there's a difference between the kids who go to private school and the kids who go to public school. And I go, that's really interesting. What's the difference? Well, I don't know, but it's not okay between them. There's a tension between them. He didn't say tension, but there's something between them. And I go, can you describe it? He goes, I can't really describe it, but it's very like the difference between black kids and white kids. Now, my little nine-year-old was sitting in the back of my car talking to me about class tension yeah. at night. Brilliant little kid. Yeah. Great conversation. Yeah. It would never have happened if I hadn't insisted on it. Yeah, right. So moms, you insist on your boys being relational. Don't buy in to this nonsense that boys will be boys and you don't have any rights. Mm. You raise the bar and expect your daughters to be strong and vocal and assertive and express expect your sons to be open-hearted and have feelings and be able to articulate a sense or two about them. And then, of course, non-binary kids, they need all the support you can give them. But I want strong, competent girls, and I want big-hearted, sensitive boys, and I want us to move beyond these traditional roles. They're bad for everybody. Let's, let's get past them. I think we give boys so much, we just assume that, oh, that's, yeah, those kind of one-word answers and not really opening up and stuff. You know, we kind of give them permission to do that because we just have this narrative. That's how it's going to be. And that's how boys are in a while, especially as they start getting closer to being teenagers. And yeah, well, that's just kind of to be expected. And oh, yeah, my, my kids are doing that, too. And we don't really feel like we can put our foot down like you did or demand that sometimes because we just assume that's how it has to be. Yeah. Raise the bar. Yeah, I like that. Raise the bar. You talk about dominance in your book, and you write here on page 41 that we position ourselves as a part and above in many relationships. We attempt to control our partners, our kids, our bodies, and even the way we think. Take a step back, and you'll see that running your relationships from a place of power and control is lunacy. Lunacy. What are you talking about? Aren't we in control? We're it's we're the boss, and our kids are they're in the they're in the lower position on the social hierarchy, and they have to do what we say. Oh, yeah. Are you a parent, Indy? Do you have kids? Nope. My next question is, when was the last time you told a kid, you will do exactly what I say you do? Yeah. And how well did that work? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, sure, Dad. <laughs> Look, here's a bitter pill for parents. And I do want to say, if you go to my website, Terry Real, just my name, T-E-R-Y-R-E-A-L, terryreal.com, there is a course on relational parenting that I would love to invite people to listen to. The first sentence of my course, I say to the listeners, uh, if I ever write a book on parenting, I'm going to call it Steering on Ice. You have approximate control. You do not have control. 
You do not have traction. Uh, if you want to teach yourself that uh, short of a gun to their head, no human being controls another human being, just look at your kid and say, you will do this, you won't do that, and watch what happens. They're going to let you know in no uncertain terms that you can go fly. Off. <laughs> now look, parents, you cannot control your kids. Here's what you can control. You can control the environment around the kid. Mm. And so what you want to set up with your kids are what I call if-then statements. If you do, this will happen. Mm. If you don't do, this will happen. You can control the rewards and consequences, but you can't control the kid. If you want to do that, I don't advise it. I think it's bad for you, but I can't control you. However, if you do that, you're going to lose this and this. It's up to you. If you do this instead, you're going to be rewarded with that, that, and that. It's up to you. But at any given moment, it's not up to me, it's up to you. You talk a lot in the book about repair. And that repair is really when we make progress in our relationships. But wouldn't it be better to just not get disconnected in the first place? Couldn't we just keep everything, you know, nice and stay connected and not have to repair things? Then you would be in the realm of angels. Angels, I guess, float around in harmony all day. But we humans, this planet, yeah. I got this from the great infant observational researcher, Dr. Ed Tronick. T-R-O-N-I-C-K. Yeah. Look him up. He's got great. He wrote a book called The Power of Discord, which I love. And what Ed figured out, Ed was, along with Barry Breselton, one of the first of a generation to, unlike Freud and all of us psychotherapists, to infer what happens between parents and infants by listening to adult patients. And instead, uh, he stuck a video camera in front Let's of actually go see. <laughs> yeah. mothers and infants, and now fathers, and like did a close analysis of what went on. And what Ed is famous for, and I mean, he should win a you know Pulitzer Prize for that. But what Ed is famous for is all relationships are an endless dance of harmony, disharmony, and repair, closeness. Mm-hmm disruption, and return to closeness. Think about infants. Yeah. The infant is, here's a tape, you can watch this on YouTube. Starts off, the infant is what we call molded. That's the technical term. Like not a bone in their body. It's just like they're a noodle in mom's arms. Then there's a noise or gas or hunger or God knows what, and the infant starts freaking out. Then the mother tries to comfort the infant. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. work. Now the mother starts freaking out. Now they're both freaking out. And then the mother gets pissed. And then the little infant takes her little arms and crosses them over her face to shield herself from the mother's angry. And then Mm. the pacifier is accepted, the gas passes, whatever, and they're back to molded. And the mother's happy and the infant's happy and all goes well. That goes on. Oh, that, what I just described, by the way, you can actually see the video, 40 seconds. Yeah, that's what it takes. Forty seconds. This mother-child played that out in less than one minute. Harmony, disharmony, and repair can go on fifty times during one dinner conversation. 
but it is the essential rhythm of relationships. It's like walking, harmony, balance, imbalance, rebalance. Mm. And what Tronic yeah. taught me, yeah. and a generation of child psychologists, is trust between infant and parent does not come from unbroken harmony. Trust comes from surviving the mess together. You and I got through this together. We got through our human imperfections together. And that, my friend, is intimacy. Intimacy is not the avoidance of imperfection. Intimacy is the handling of imperfection. And it's a mess. And sometimes it's pretty, and sometimes it's a mess. Now, in our culture, we worship a harmony phase. Yeah, right. A good relationship is all harmony. Just like a good body is a hard body and a great sex life is a 19-year-old sex life. Right. Come on, get human. We all long for this divine, you know, uninterrupted, but that's not where the action is. If I had a parent with a child and the parent said, I want you to give me a pill that's going to be all harmony between me and this child. I would say, oh, that's the last thing I would wish for you. Yeah, right. Real parenting is a goddamn mess, and you struggle your way through it, and it's fine. Can I tell you a story? Of course, Terry. True story. So when I was a young therapist, he's probably retired at this point if he's still alive, the great expert on adolescence and families was a guy here in Boston named Ed Shapiro, psychoanalyst. Okay. And I had the privilege of being one of about a thousand therapists in an audience, listening to him give a talk, a keynote address on normal relations between adolescents and their families. Not sick ones, but perfectly normal relationships. And he started, he said, you want to learn about normal relations between adolescents and their families? Okay. I'll tell you what a, my patient told me just last week as I was preparing this talk. Let me tell you the story my patient told me. A mom got a 15-year-old son in the backseat. She's driving him to some, you know, appointment, mom's taxi. Yeah. Kids in the backseat giving her grief. I mean, really giving her a hard time. And she's like, I'm sorry, blah, blah, more hard time. Look, you got to stop busting my chops. I said I was sorry. More hard time. Look, you're not being reasonable. More hard time. And then the kid just gets downright abusive. You're nasty. This mother, perfectly, you know, whatever, upper middle class, well-educated woman, driving through a little suburban town, rolls down her window, sticks her head out the window, uh, and forgive me, forgive my French, but I'm going to say it the way it said, sticks her head out the window and screams as loud as she can, my son is a fucking monster! This is what Ed Shapiro tells him. He says, <laughs> in the back seat, there's silence. Beat. And then in a little quiet voice, the son leans forward and says, well, you're not exactly mother of the year, are you? <laughs> and Shapiro gave that as his opening story of what normal families with adolescents look like. Mm. It's a mess. Do your best. Yeah. If you do lose it, make repair, be accountable, say you're sorry, and learn from it and move on. But man, 
unbroken harmony. I don't know what family you grew up in, but that ain't the way that the rest of us grew up. You do your best. Yeah. But it's a mess and it's supposed to be. Relax. You're in it for the long game. Uh, Be a human being. Let your kid be a human being and just be accountable to each other and you're going to be fine. Here's another thing that Tronic taught. You know, in psychotherapy right now, it's all about attunement. Right. We worship the attuned parent. Okay. It turns out, look, this is one of the world's leading experts. Tronic and his team came up with the exact formula of how much attunement a parent needs to give a child in order to produce a healthy child. What's the proportion of attunement versus losing your shit and misattunement? How much attunement does a child need in order to be healthy? You ready? What do you think the proportion is? How much? No idea. 50-50. Yeah. 30% attunement, 70% misattunement, and that's good enough. That'll do. I want your listeners to take that in, (laughs) breathe, and be reassured and be relaxed. We don't have to provide our kids a perfect little hothouse experience. We just have to do our best, be human, love them up, and be accountable. That's the important part. Make repair. Yeah, yeah. Keep showing up. And allow them to make repair. And it's important on the other end as well. If you're disciplining your kid, if your kid's being a brat and, you know, go take a time out or whatever, if you're going to upbraid them for not being an upstanding citizen in the family, you must always give them an avenue of rehabilitation. Mm. Always give them a way to come back home. Don't discipline them and reprimand them, and that's that. Is discipline, reprimand, and here's what you can do to make it right again. Hey, we're here with Terry Real talking about how the secret to a deeper relationship with your teenager is learning the art of repair. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Your core negative image of your partner is who they are to you when you're seeing them through the wrong end of the telescope. When you're seeing them through the spectacles of they're an impossible jerk, they're hopeless, and, you know, it was a big mistake to marry them to begin with. When you're seeing them as just an impossible idiot, That's your core negative image. And what I teach is that your core negative image of your partner and theirs of you is an exaggerated version of you at your worst. You know, we do this to our kids all day long. Say you're sorry to your sister. Well, actually, Mm. he may not be sorry that he whacked his sister. You know, tell your sister you feel bad that she's hurt. Do you feel bad that she's hurt? Yeah, okay, well, tell her that. You know, in adults, it's the same thing with affairs. I don't tell people to say you're sorry for an affair. You may have loved the hell out of that affair. I'm sorry for the devastation that it created, and I feel like a terrible person that I did that to my family. Mm. But the actual affair, I don't know, it was kind of fun. I don't have to say that, but you can't control the kids' feelings. Don't control their feelings. Let them have whatever they feel but you can insist on healthy behavior. There's a difference. Let your kids fail. They won't die. Let your kids make mistakes. 
Let your kids feel bad about the bad things that they do. You should feel bad about the bad things you do. If you don't feel bad about your bad behavior, you're a sociopath. Mm. But in our sweat, to never have our kids feel bad about anything, we are falsely empowering our kids left and right. There's a difference between confidence and self-esteem. The whole state of California got that wrong. Mm. famous self-esteem initiative, which was laughable to the rest of the country. Confidence is great. Mastering something and feeling really good about yourself is great. Good for you is an important part of being a kid. Self-esteem has nothing to do with performance. It has nothing to do with how other people see you. It has nothing to do with achievement. Healthy self-esteem comes from the inside out, It is given to you at birth. You have it till death. You can't earn it. You can't subtract it. Your essential worth as a human being is no better or worse than anybody else's. It can't be. It is a spiritual fact. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.